Last week, Jeff looked at Psalm 2. Today, we look at Psalm chapter 22. Uh, This psalm is that famous psalm where in verse 1 that has that uh, phrase Jesus quoted uh, from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we want to look at uh, why Jesus said that, how it relates to this psalm. Uh, the psalm, if you have your Bible, you'll note at the top, it says it was written by King David. Uh, David lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and we're going to see that this psalm uh, directly relates to uh, the crucifixion of Christ. It's a lament psalm. A lot of the psalms are lament psalms, which is a psalm written in just a desperate time. Uh, written in just a horrible, awful situation, and the psalmist pins down his emotions as they just spill out, and the Holy Spirit inspires them, and they're written down on the page, and, and often they end up with the statement of victory or statement of God delivering them. And so we begin with the first verse. David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so David here is in just a horrible situation. And we'll see him talk about this more later. But his enemies are surrounding him. He is at the point of death. He is in the most desperate, awful, uh, tormenting situation you could imagine. And... He has no friends, only enemies are around him, the only one he has left is God. And yet he feels forsaken by God. I mean, maybe you've been in a situation where it's just horrible and you don't know what to do and life is falling apart and it doesn't seem you have anyone there, but you just think, well, God surely is there and you pray and you call out to him and there's there's no answer. David says, I cry by day. This is, this, this is an emotional prayer. This is not, God can kind of bless me today. It's, God, where are you? By day. And God doesn't answer. And by night. And he finds no rest. He feels as if he has been totally, absolutely abandoned by God. And so he cries out, Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Similar to Psalm 13, another lament song, psalm written by David. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. It may be that you are here today and this, you're saying, that's me. Uh, I'm in a desperate situation. And I've been praying that God would help me, that God would heal me, that God would deliver me, that God would do something big in my life, and He just seems far. In verse 3, David, still in the midst of this darkness, in this horrible situation, still understands that God is big and God is able. He says, Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. He, he thinks that, yes, God, you are still sovereign and you've worked miracles in the past, but he's probably asking, well, what about me? I mean, you've probably been there. I've been there where you're in this horrible situation and you're, God, where are you? Would you rescue me to do a miracle? And you open up the Bible, you, you see these miracles, say, God, would you do that for me? Why aren't you doing that for me? And so, again, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I'm abandoned. Would you help me? And then he expresses how he's feeling. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. The phrase literally means, I feel unhuman. He feels like he's not even human. No better than an earthworm that has been stepped on in the ground. And the reason is, he says, he's scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. That's horrible statements and awful faces. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. So his enemies are wagging their heads at David, shaking their heads. They're in disgust at him. And they're saying to David, Oh, so you worship God, do you? Wow, great God you have. You say that God loves you? Look at your life. It's pathetic. And David is just thinking about the situation. He says, I'm no better than a worm. I don't even feel like I'm human. I am in such an awful situation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David cries out. And then he says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. David saying, I- I've always walked with you, God. I've tried to please you. Where are you? Like you might say to a good friend, you know, I'm in a horrible situation. We've been friends forever. Why weren't you there for me? God, why aren't you there for me? David says. And then he describes his situation. He says, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. David describes his enemies like animals. His enemies are so horrible and awful that this poetic uh, uh, idea, he says, they're just, they're like wild beasts. He says, I am poured out like water. Like you take a bucket and just chuck it out in your backyard. That's how David feels. And he says, all my bones are out of joint and my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. I mean, he's emotionally done. You ever been there where you're just emotionally done? Your heart is just like, it's hard. It's like wax, he says. And then he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. It's a broken piece of pottery that's chucked out in the desert. He's, he's got no strength left, physically, emotionally. He's thirsty and hungry. My tongue sticks to my jaw. Just, there's just no liquid left in his body. And then he says, you lay me in the dust of death. Then he says, where dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. And perhaps David is saying that he's either so hungry that he can actually see his bones. 
His enemies have been after him for so long that he can start counting his bones. Or he is figuratively talking about these animals, these horrible beasts that are tearing his flesh apart and he can actually see his bones. I can count my bones, he says. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. In other words, the enemies have surrounded David. They know he's going to die. So already they're saying, I want a shirt. I want his pants. I'd like those Nike shoes right there, right? They know he's going to die. So they're already deciding who is going to get his clothes. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Again, he cries out, O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then he continues in the psalm. But we're going to stop there because... You've probably already noticed that this, in many ways, describes the crucifixion. Many of these verses here in Psalm 22 are quoted directly in the New Testament dealing with Jesus' crucifixion. And we will just look at a couple of them here. Psalm 22, 6-7. Again, David said, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Isaiah, talking about Jesus, said, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And you go to the New Testament and you see that people were shaking their heads at Jesus, mocking Jesus, spitting in his face, beating Jesus. And you could imagine, because remember, Jesus is not only fully God, but he's fully man. And as a man, you could imagine that Jesus felt like a worm. That no one was there for him. Everyone had deserted him. And then the psalm goes on and say, All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads saying this, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him for He delights in Him. And then in Matthew, same idea. Those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads. Same phrase. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked Him saying, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down now from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusts in God. Let God God deliver Him now if He desires Him. It's the same. The enemies are mocking Jesus. You talk about being the Son of God, the Son of Man. You, You talk about this relationship with your Father. Well, where is He? Just call on that power. Come down from the cross and then we'll believe in Him, in you. They're mocking Him. They're despising Jesus. And then Psalm 22, 14 to 15. David says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. And again, David here, as he's writing his own experience by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is prophetically speaking about the cross to come, the one who would totally fulfill this. And perhaps Jesus, as historically speaking, that some people when they were hanging on the cross in that awkward position, their shoulder would come out of joint. And of course, my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast that Jesus emotionally would have been done. 
this tormenting experience. And then my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. As Jesus cried out on the cross, I thirst! Because he was so dry, so thirsty that his tongue would stick to his jaw and you lay me in the dust. Jesus was ready to die. For dogs encompass me, the psalm says. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And this absolutely happened to Jesus where his hands and feet were pierced as he was nailed to the cross. I count all my bones. Maybe speaking of the fact that none of Jesus' bones are broken or the fact that every single bone probably ached like crazy. They stare and gloat over me. And this may have been literally fulfilled because historically, a lot of people actually crucified, not way up in the air as often depicted, but as eye, at eye level. So all your enemies could come and look you directly in the face and spit in your face and say, you are pathetic. And perhaps Jesus was crucified at eye level and so his enemies came and looked at him right in the eye and said, so you're the son of God, are you? And they divide my garments, the psalm says, among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And that is directly quoted in the New Testament. John 19. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each shoulder. Also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They said to one another, let us not tear it but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which is Psalm 22, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then we could, lots of other stuff in that psalm, but let's focus in on this verse, Psalm 22, 1. Jesus cried out, in Matthew 27, it says, Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. when Jesus died. And so the whole land becomes dark. Because this is the most evil act that ever happened in history. Where Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, so when he shouts this, he is not just kind of mumbling. And some people say, well, the reason Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is because he was simply quoting Psalm 22 so that when people heard it, they would look at Psalm 22 and say, oh, that was about you. And that might be partly true. But there is a lot more to this. He didn't just say this. It says... With a loud voice, he shouted. And then it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic for, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had been relatively silent up until this point. He didn't say much during the trial. He didn't say much on the cross. But here he shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why did he say that? I mean, how can God forsake God, right? How could Jesus, who is the Son of God, the dearly loved Son, how could he be forsaken? Well, a couple things we need to note here. First of all, Jesus did not say this because he's like, why in the world am I on this cross? 
Why have you forsaken me? Because I'm on the cross. That's, that's not why he said this. He knew perfectly well that he came to die. Many times it tells us this in the New Testament. Here's Jesus' words himself. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He even talked about being lifted up. He knew he was going to be crucified. Jesus came to die. In fact, this is why God took on a human nature. Because God cannot die. But Jesus is a human in his human nature could. Jesus took on human flesh so that he could die for our sin. Now we also know that on the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin and the wrath we deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, for our sake, we cannot look at Jesus and say, That's what you deserve. You're on the cross because that's what you deserve. We cannot say that. Completely innocent. Absolutely no sin whatsoever. We can't look to Jesus to find out why. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We must look somewhere else. And that is to us in our sin. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. That God actually made Jesus, this text says, on the cross to be our sin. He was made to be our sin. And Galatians describes it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That on the cross, Jesus took our sin and He became a curse for us. He was cursed. First uh, John 2.2 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. And this word means that He took upon Himself the wrath that we deserve. That we have sinned against a holy God. And because God hates sin, it deserves to be punished. And there on the cross, Jesus took all of that wrath that we deserve, that the Father actually poured upon Jesus our sin, poured upon Jesus our curse, and poured upon Jesus the entirety of the punishment that we deserve. Isaiah very graphically says it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the Father Himself laying this sin, laying this wrath, this curse on His Son, Jesus. And it says here that we have all turned away. Jesus, it says in John, took upon Himself the sins of the world. I mean, just think about your own sin for a moment. Just think about all the pain that your sin has caused you. Has caused your marriage and the pain that has caused your kids, that it has caused your family and has caused yourself. I mean, it's tremendous when you begin to think about it. Think how much pain you have caused others by non-action as your fridges are full and yet there are people dying of hunger on this planet. Think of all that pain and all that suffering. Imagine if you had to take that all in a moment. It wiped me out. But Jesus did not just take your sin. 
and your pain and your suffering and your wrath. But John says the sins of the world were on him. I mean, the pain of the cross was, was not just physical pain. By far, it was the receiving of the wrath and the punishment and our eternal price of being separated from God. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. That is heavy. That is weighty. The other thing we need to take into mind here is that Jesus was always in perfect unity and intimacy with the Father up to this point. When Jesus was baptized, the Father said, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Again, there was no sin in this relationship. It was perfect. I mean, just the fact that Jesus, of course, is part of the Trinity, right? Uh, John 8 says, He who sent me is with me. Talk about the Father. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. If you picture this perfect relationship, perfect intimacy, perfect fellowship. But then something happened on the cross. Jesus is on the cross and all of a sudden the Father begins to pour upon Him our wrath. The Father begins to pour on Jesus our sin. The Father begins to pour on Jesus our curse. And there's a mystery to this. We don't know all how this happens. I mean, definitely God did not cease. I mean, Jesus did not cease to be a part of the Trinity. There was always unity there. God cannot cease to be God. But Jesus as a man. Remember, Jesus is not like a superman. He was fully human. Human emotions, human pain, human frustrations. And for the first time in his life, there is something where his intimacy with the Father is lost. Where this, this relationship somehow between Jesus as a man and God the Father is broken. And the words he uses to describe this are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before this, the only one that Jesus had left was the Father. I mean, you go back to the beginning of the Gospels, the crowds were huge. And then the closer you get to the cross, the crowds get smaller and smaller until there's 12 in the upper upper room. Judas goes, there's 11, and then they flee, and then there's Peter, and then he flees, and only the Father is left. And then in this moment, Jesus feels as, as if he has been deserted by the Father. So again, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Spurgeon said this, Remember also that our blessed Lord had lived in unbroken fellowship with God. And to be forsaken was a new grief to him. He had never known what the dark was till then. His life had been lived in the light of God. His fellowship with the Father was of the highest, deepest fullest order, and what must the loss of it have been? We lose but drops when we lose our joyful experience of heavenly fellowship, and yet the loss is killing. But to our Lord Jesus Christ, the sea was dried up. I mean, His sea of fellowship with the infinite God. I was thinking about this and saying, I mean, like, this was the nightmare situation for Jesus. That this perfect unity, this perfect fellowship somehow mysteriously was interrupted as he took upon himself the sin and the wrath and he, he's just done emotionally, he's done physically, he just cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Now I begin to think about us. Why are we like that? 
Why is it when we begin to lose a little bit of our intimacy with the Father, we just we sometimes just don't even give a rip? Literally. Just go on my life and yeah, I didn't really hang out with God or do anything to serve Him or love Him or you know give my heart and worship to Him. You know, I haven't been to church in three months, you know. Jesus was my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? I love this intimacy. I want this fellowship beyond anything else. And he's done. And we're just saying that. There's something seriously wrong with that. Our satisfaction is found in Jesus. Life is found in Jesus. True fellowship with God is found in Jesus. There is nothing better than to be intimate with Jesus. The reason Jesus was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken. Why was he forsaken? So that you might never be. It's what the author of Hebrews writes. He says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus, of course, said in the Great Commission, I am with you always. Jesus was forsaken so that you never have to experience what he experienced. Jesus took upon Himself the wrath of the Father so that you might never have to experience the wrath of the Father. Jesus took upon Himself our punishment for our sin so that we might never have to be punished for our sin. Jesus died so that we might have new life, forgiveness, freedom, true satisfaction, true joy. Everything we truly need for life is found in Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you more than anybody should be crying out, my God, God, where are you? Now what happened to David? I'm going to wrap up this song. God did answer David's prayer. In verse 21 to 23 of Psalm 22, it says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David, in the end of this horrible, miserable situation where he felt abandoned by God, is finally rescued. God steps in, He delivers him, and he's thrilled. And so he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you, you who fear the Lord. Praise Him. And he finishes off the psalm with just telling everybody, just worship the Lord. He's awesome because He answered my prayer. Now it's interesting, this underlined text here is also quoted in the New Testament of Jesus. Just as God came down and delivered David, after Jesus died and was laid in the tomb, three days later, God delivered Jesus. And he celebrates. Hebrews 2. That is why he, that is Jesus, is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brothers, Jesus who died on that cross, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Which is kind of funny because how often are we ashamed to call him our Lord? And he says this, I will tell of your name. Talking about the Father to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise that when we gather here to worship God, Jesus is here along with us glorifying the Father. 
Because just as David was delivered, Jesus was delivered as well. And the whole psalm can be summed up here. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. That when Jesus cried out, ultimately he was delivered. When David cried out, though he felt abandoned for a time, though he felt God had left the building, God was still there loving David, caring for David, and in the end he was rescued. And this goes for you and me. It may be that you are here and you are wondering why God is so silent. You're wondering why God is so dark. Don't give up. Don't give up. He has heard when he cried to him, you keep crying to God. Where are you? God, I need you. Would you be close to me? In fact, I love what Buddy Spurgeon said on this. He said, let us learn from our Lord's example how to behave ourselves. If God has left thee, do not shut up thy Bible. Nay, open it as thy Lord did and find a text that will suit thee. If God has left thee, or thou thinkest so, because God never leaves you, right? Do not give up prayer. Nay, pray as the Lord did. And be more earnest than ever. If thou thinkest God has forsaken thee, do not give up thy faith in Him. But like thy Lord, cry thou, My God, my God, again and again. You keep crying to Him because the Bible says, when you seek Him, you'll find Him. The Bible says, when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. You've got to draw near. And that may mean shouting with a loud voice, Jesus, I just need you to be close to me. And you cry out day and night and day and night. And you don't give up because you know God is there. You know God will never leave you nor forsake you because of what the cross did. And eventually, God will bless you in a way unimaginable. Because that's what Jesus does. If you don't know Jesus, He's amazing. Jesus will forgive your sin. He will give you a new life. doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away, but you know what? You have one who's able to deal with all your problems. Let's pray. God, we are, are so thankful that You used the cross to purchase our forgiveness. God, you could have so easily used the cross to prove beyond any doubt that we all deserve hell forever. But by your grace, you used the cross to save us. It's all mercy, it's all grace that we don't deserve. And we thank you that your son was forsaken so that we might never be. We thank you that he took our punishment so that we don't have to be punished. We thank you that we can have this beautiful relationship with you. Not because we're so good, but because Jesus Christ, your Son, is amazing. Amen.